Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 13, the title of the message today in the Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus Rules. Now, it's not Jesus rules, although Jesus does rule, it's Jesus rules. We're going to see four general rules of life today that Jesus um, is giving to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever heard about the wacky label warning contest where they, they <clears throat> look at all the various uh, uh, label warnings and that, that are put on uh, things? It's in its 15th year. And the winners for 2012 are these. Here's the third place winner. Uh, this is on a neck pillow that's marketed for children. Uh, keep product away from infants and children. I love that, don't you? <clears throat> Here's the second place winner. This is on a label for an electric razor for men. Never use while sleeping. I think that's a good rule. I, I think that, that makes good sense. Here's the, I love this, and, and I can see, having been to Walmart several times, I can see how some people might uh, do this. This is the grand prize winner for 2012. This is on a seven-inch decorative globe. It says, these globes should not be referred to for navigation. I think that, uh, that makes good sense. Here's some, just some prize winners from in the past. On a baby stroller, remove child before folding. <laughs> on a, uh, a label on a dust mask, does not supply oxygen. <laughs> now, you, you've got to imagine, who was it that, uh, oh well. Uh, here's a warning. In fact, I had a picture of this. And, and I, I decided to bump the picture. I decided not to put the picture here because I felt like it would be inappropriate. But this is a warning on a portable toilet seat uh, <clears throat> that attaches to a trailer hitch. All right? You got that? On a portable toilet seat that attaches to a trailer hitch. I have the picture at home if you want to see it. Not for use on a moving vehicle. I <clears throat> it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> who did they catch using it in that way, I guess? Here's, now, here's one I think that makes a lot of sense. This is a warning on a small tractor. Danger, avoid death. <laughs> and then finally, uh, this one, and, and this is just very, very practical. This is a warning on a brass fishing hook, a three-pronged hook. It says harmful if swallowed. And uh, I would think that it is harmful if swallowed. Uh, all of these are pretty good rules, I would think. Um, you, you would want to live by uh, some of those rules. But great rules to live by came from Jesus. And the, uh, Jesus gave us four in the Sermon on the Mount in our text, which is Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 13. Here's what Jesus said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, 
whatsoever or whatever you uh, wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. As it is with most uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, these words are very straightforward. And quite honestly, there's little reason for interpretation. In fact, there's no reason for interpretation. There may be a good deal of reason for application, and that's what we're going to take the opportunity to do as we see four rules given from this passage of the Sermon on the Mount. The first rule is what I call the get rule. The get rule. Verses 7 and 8 show three routes of getting what we need and want in this life. It's interesting that there are three, and each given a place in how we receive from God. Sometimes we only think of one avenue of getting things from God, but God gives us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, gives us three avenues of getting what we need from God. The first is to ask. That's a very simple aspect of it. In the Greek, this verb is both active and imperative, which implies diligence. Uh, The principle is stated a bit differently in Luke chapter 11, but it gives us some insight on how we should be asking. How do you go about asking God for things? Well, Luke 11 and verse 5, again, Jesus is speaking. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Well, I tell you, uh, though he will not get up and give him anything because uh, he is his friend, yet because of his uh, impudence, he will rise and give whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. The word ask there is, is actually explained out in this passage Uh, The word ask in the Sermon on the Mount is explained out here. It means to keep on asking. It means to, to keep on requesting. It means not to let up. Sometimes we think that God gets tired of hearing the same request over and over. Pardon me. That God gets tired of hearing the same request over and over. But I say to you that God does not get tired of hearing the same request over and over. In fact, He has encouraged us to ask him over and over. He expects us to keep asking until one of two things happen. Until we see how he's already given the answer or until he gives the answer that we see or that we're we're needing. So the first part of the get rule is to ask. Uh, I remember a, a great old preacher in days gone by. He used to preach a message on prayer and he would say, prayer is asking. And that's exactly right prayer is asking, but there's more than asking when it comes to the get rule. Beyond asking, you must seek. We are to ask and we are to seek. Here's what that means. This means that we strive to find or put some effort into what we're asking for. This means to get up off the couch. This means to do something. This means to pursue the answer. 
A lot of times uh, people will just ask, and some people's idea of asking God to bless them is to ask and then just sit back and watch. Uh, I have a friend, very good friend, very, very good friend. And uh, uh, this friend quit his job, and uh, the friend said, I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. I'm just going to wait on God. And I said, really? He said, oh, yeah. I'm just going to wait on God. I'm, I've asked God, and I'm just going to wait on God. And so this friend uh, moved and found a place where he could wait on God. And uh, when, when, quite honestly, his bank account was nigh on to empty, he found out that God was waiting on him to do something. And so what he did is he got a job. People who ask must also uh, seek. He doesn't want us to worry but he does want us to put forth some kind of an effort. God has given us ability and he has given us intellect. We must use what God has given us. And, and I want to tell you something, friends. That's the, that truth right there is something that oftentimes is overlooked by people who preach to you the importance of walking by and living by faith. We ought to walk by and live by faith all the while using what God has given us. Praying is an awesome thing, and we ought to pray. But there's some other awesome things that will help us to get what we need. For instance, paying our bills on time. That will help us to get God's answer. Because a lot of times, people have to step over a stack of bills in order to help us. And, and we say, well, you know, uh, God didn't deliver. Well, the, the truth is God did deliver, but it was on the other side of that stack of bills that we didn't pay. Uh, living within our means, taking care of our bodies, education, application of shoe leather, uh, dressing for success, being early to appointments, and on and on and on it goes. My son Matthew, who's in law enforcement now, my son Matthew told me yesterday, he said, you know, Dad, I, I, what I think is that, that uh, uh, I should develop, or someone, he was talking about himself, but someone should develop a, uh, a course for people that are trying to get into law enforcement, a course for them to pass oral boards. Uh, Scott, you know what I'm talking about. He said a lot of these people, they're fully qualified, but they get to the oral boards and they can't speak. <clears throat> they don't know what to say. They don't know how to answer. They don't know how to give the answers. And he said, what I want to do is once I've got myself a little established is, is on the side, just develop a course for these people that are coming out of law enforcement academy and teach them how to sit in front of people and answer the questions of folks that are working front line. Now that kind of goes in line with what I'm talking about. You can ask, but you've got to seek. You've got to try. You've got to give, give some uh, sort of an effort. When I was a, uh, a pastor in Nashville uh, at uh, uh, the church uh, that Ryan is now a member of, and his father-in-law uh, is the, uh, the pastor, when I was a uh, pastor there, we had a little Christian school, still going, uh, and, and the school, I would have chapel with the school, and I can't remember. I'd had it every week, and I can't recall what day of the week it was. I want to say it was Thursday. It may have been another day, but I want to say that it was Thursday. And I would get up in, in front of the uh, kids, and I would say something like this. I would get up, and, and we had everybody in chapel, and, and I would look at them, and I would say, you know something, here's the truth. 
Not every one of you would be the smartest person that ever walked on the face of the earth. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can all do what? And they would scream out, try. And then I would go through a series of things. I would say, you know, you may not be the best looking kid that ever walked. In fact, some of you, hmm, but you can all do this. You can. And they would scream, try. And we'd go through this whole thing, and it got to be a big, funny thing that we would do every single week. But I was encouraging them to understand that part of life was trying. Now, I was, had a birthday on March the 6th, and I've got a lot of those old kids from the school that are now adults, and they are my friends on Facebook. And here's what they would write to me. They would say, you may not do so-and-so, but you can at least try. You may not be the youngest guy in the world, but you can at least try. And they would go on and on and remind me of how uh, important that was in their lives. And this is the truth, folks. You've got to give some effort. I mean, my soul, you can be sitting in front of a plate full of food uh, with your hand in your lap and say, oh, dear God, please feed me. And God says, well, there's a fork. Pick it up. Shovel it in. We have to try. So we ask, we seek, and then here's the third thing. We knock. This is the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 as Jesus knocks at our heart's doors. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So the application then is that we should knock in the same way that Jesus knocks. We ask persistently, we seek diligently, and we knock the way that Jesus walks. That's the uh, knocks. That's the get rule. That's how you get things from God. Ask the way that uh, uh, persistently, and we seek diligently, and then we knock the way that Jesus knocks on our heart's door. Now, how does Jesus knock on our heart's door? How does he come to us and knock on our heart's door? Well, first of all, he's sincere about it. He sincerely knocks on our heart's door. There's no pretense or show about Jesus knocking on our heart's door. He doesn't elbow somebody and say, hey, watch this. And then he runs up and he knocks on our heart's door. That's not the way he does that. He's sincere about it. When we knock on his door, we should be sincere as well. We should say, okay, I'm going to ask God for something. I am going to knock on the, the door that God has before me, and I'm going to be sincere about it. I really want God to answer me, and I really believe that God can answer me, and I know that God has an answer for me. I'm going to knock on his door. Sometimes, in fact, I don't think sometimes, I think a lot of times, we use God as a last resort instead of making him his the first door that we knock on. We knock on all the other doors and then we knock on his door. You said, but Pastor Ray, you already said that we should seek and, and, and try and, and do those things. That's exactly right. We should do those things. But I will tell you this, the first place that we ought to seek and the first one we should ask and the first door we should knock on should be God's door. We should never abandon knocking on God's door. We should ask sincerely, knock sincerely. Secondly, we should knock persistently. Wouldn't you agree that Jesus knocks on your heart's door with some degree of persistence? Wouldn't you agree with that? 
I mean, he knocks on our heart's door all the time of the day or night. If I ask you to raise your hand, everybody would raise your hand to this. Uh, how many of you can remember a time when Jesus knocked on your heart's door? And if I ask you to raise your hand, you'd raise your hand. And then I would say, has he knocked on your heart's door in the middle of the night? You'd say, oh, yeah. Has he knocked on your heart's door in the middle of the day? Oh, yeah. Has he knocked on your heart's door while you're traveling in the car? Oh, yeah. Has he knocked on your heart's door while you've been in a church service? Oh, yeah. Has he knocked on your heart's door when you've been uh, reading your Bible? Oh, yeah. Have you knocked on, has he knocked on your heart's door when you're reading the newspaper? Oh, yeah. Why does he knock on your heart's door in all those places? Because he's persistent. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here, not going anywhere. I'm here. We can be in church, a restaurant, lying in the bed in the middle of the night, and there comes that knock on our heart's door. Why? Because that's the way he knocks. He knocks persistently. This is how we ought to knock on God's heart's door, on on God's door. We should knock persistently. Sometimes God will knock on our door to remind us to knock on his door. Hasn't God ever prompted you to pray? He was knocking on your door that you might knock on his door. You say, well, why would he do that? Because he wants you to knock on his door. He knows that knocking on his door is part of the formula of of the get rule. And so he wants you to knock. When we knock, we should stay at the door waiting until someone comes because he is there. I've knocked on doors before and I have known that there were people in the house and they would not come to the door. And I stood there a while, and I knocked a second time. I've even knocked a third time. But eventually I said to myself, well, they don't want to talk to me. And so what I did is I turned from their door, and I walked away. Here's the thing about Jesus. He absolutely wants to answer the door. So never walk away from him. Never say, all right, it's time for me to walk away. Evidently, he's not interested in my problem. A lot of people think that. They think that that God's just not interested in their problem, but he is. What often happens is that we're just not persistent. We just quit knocking. How should we knock? We should knock the way that Jesus does. Sincerely, persistently, and then thirdly, expectantly. When we ask or we seek or we knock, we should then expect. We should expect that God is going to answer. We should expect that God is going to come to the door. Here's something that you can count on. God is at work in your life all the time. Romans 8:28 says all things work together for all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is always at work in your life. There's never a time he's not. There's never a time when God said, "You know what? I think I'll just leave Marie for a while. She's wearing me out. I'm going to spend a little more time with Boncillo. There's never a time that that happens. There's never a time when God says, you know, I'm just, I'm done with her. No, no, no. He is always, always there for you and always there for me. This whole idea of praying and seeking God's answer is uh, is to find an answer for our, excuse me, This whole idea of praying and seeking God's answer is to find an answer for ourselves and an answer for ourselves and confirm our lives to His will. Doesn't mean that we're on our own. 
but we need to find God's answer. God has an answer. Find it. So there's the the get rule. Now let me move on. Let's talk about the God rule. There's a get rule and there's a God rule. Now there's going to be four rules today. Can you imagine that they're going to start with G's? They probably will. Here's the God rule. And verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, here's the reality. The reality is that we do not try to harm our children. We just don't. We don't want to harm our children. It's just the opposite. We want to bless our children. And as uh, the father of one who is now 34 and one who is 32 and one who is 28, I can assure you that you never stop wanting to bless your children. That's just the way that it works. We wouldn't serve up a rock when our children ask us for something to eat. We certainly wouldn't give them something harmful for them. If they ask and we say, well, sure. I, uh, hey, uh, Dad, I'd like a toy. Well, that's great. You've done well in the first grade. Here's a rat trap. We wouldn't give them something that was harmful to them. We, we may give them a different answer from the exact request that they get. But still, uh, under any circumstances, would we, under no circumstances, would we put them in harm's way? That's a very simple thing. That's a good parent rule. That's also the God rule. <coughs> now, here's a further reality about good parents. We make these basic good decisions for our children. All right. We make this, these good decisions for our children, even though we're not really good of ourselves. Now, come on, Pastor Ray, I've come to church, spring break weekend, everybody else went to the beach, I stayed here, and you tell me that I'm not any good. No, I didn't tell you you weren't any good. You're real good, you know, compared probably to the people sitting around you. There's probably some real scoundrels sitting around you. But that's not the way we measure good. The way you measure good is, is by biblical measures of good. Well, here it is in Romans 3, 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks after God. Verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, no, not even one. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means this, stand next to God and all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Stand next to God and all your good intentions become evil intentions. Compared to each other, we are pretty good. But when compared to God, we have no righteousness. Would you be willing to walk up to God right now and say, okay, God, I know you're righteous, but let me show you this. Let me show you, that's not the way Isaiah did. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, when he said that after he saw the Lord high and lifted up. I am a man of unclean lips. This is why we can't save ourselves from our sins. We're sinners ourselves. 
We cannot save ourselves from sin because we're sinners ourselves. It's, it's like a, a muddy dog uh, trying to uh, clean himself up with his own mud. You just can't do it. In our text, God is saying that even people with the kind of flaws that we make, that we have, and we have plenty of them, that even people like us can make good decisions for our children. So don't ever walk around and feel like, well, I got to doubt my parenting because I'm a sinner. No, no, embrace your parenting. God says that sinful people can make good parenting decisions. But then he goes on and he says this, if you think you can make good parenting decisions, imagine what God the Father can do. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God has only the best of intentions for us. Given the facts of our lives and the heartaches and the disappointments and the, uh, and the promises and so on, here, here's what happens. God seeks to only do good for us and not evil. And, and so when bad things, I've had people say, why would God do this bad thing? I want to explain something to you. God is not the author of bad things. Satan is the author of bad things. If you'll recall, God created a garden called Edom, Eden, and he created a perfection in that garden. And it wasn't until Satan came along to destroy it and man participated in that destruction that all the evil came. So when, when you get to thinking, why would a good God allow this bad thing or make this bad thing happen to me? You've got to understand that's because of Adam and Satan. The good God is still good. And the good God still does good things for us. Now you say, but what he did to me didn't feel good. I understand that. I've had those same things happen. I have them happening right now. It happens on a regular basis. But you walk by faith, not by sight. Here's an illustration. When our children were small, we made them go to bed even though they wanted to stay up. You remember that? You've got to go to bed. They wanted to stay up. Here's what we knew. We knew that the decision would seem bad to them at the time, but it was best for them. And eventually, they would come to either accept it or to understand it. They weren't mature enough. They weren't developed enough. They didn't have enough perspective to see it when they were a small child. All they knew was, I'm crying because I'm being made to go to bed. This is not fair. They get to stay up. Why don't I get to stay up? But we knew things that they didn't know. And as they grow older, they look back on it and they say, well, of course I had to go to bed early. I was a kid. I needed my sleep. I was growing. It was part of my development. So it is with God, the God rule. Accept his will for your life with the understanding that someday you will understand it and that always God's will is best for you. The verse that I quoted earlier, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now we're looking at rules today because Jesus rules. And first of all, we've seen the get rule and we've seen the God rule. Here's the third one, the golden rule. Ah, this is the one that everybody knows about in verse 12. So whatsoever you wish that others would 
do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. If you boil down the whole Sermon on the Mount down to, to one verse, it would probably be this one, or a lot like this one anyway. It sums up the essence of everything that Christ has to say or will say in this important message. This statement is, isn't God's plan for redemption. This is not, this is not the theology of salvation, do good, do good to others and then you'll go to heaven. That's not it. We shouldn't build a theology on it, but we should build a practice on it. This great truth is a, a principle that ought to govern our attitudes toward others. It, it only applies to believers and it must be practiced in every area of life. The person who practices the golden rule uh, does a few things. He, first of all, he or she refuses to say or do anything that would harm himself or others. Now, I'm not going to say anything that would do harm to somebody else because I wouldn't say anything that would do harm to me. I'm not going to do anything that would harm anybody else because I wouldn't do anything that would harm me. That's exactly what it says. Whatever you wish others to do, do that also for them. If, if our judging of others is not governed by this principle, and recall that we've already said that we can't live without some sense of judgment, but if our judging of others is, not with, is without this principle, we'll become proud, we'll become critical, and our own spiritual character will degenerate because we are not doing unto others as we would have them to do unto us. It's just a rule that Jesus gave. It's a golden rule. Practicing the golden rule releases the love of God in our lives and enables us to help others even though they may want to hurt us. Someone wisely stated, if we could make a great bonfire of the thousands of laws we have in this country and start all over again with only the golden rule and the Ten Commandments, I'm sure we would get along much better. And all God's children said, amen. Well, that's the truth. So in this Jesus rules, or in these Jesus rules, the get rule, and the God rule, and the the golden rule, we see some principles of life that are very powerful, right out of the words uh, of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. And that brings me to the final, the one that I call the gate rule. What is the gate rule? Matthew 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. In Jesus' day, the broad gate was the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. They were trying to get everybody else to buy into their righteousness. That was their, their broad gate. And several times Jesus reminded them of what they had been told by the Pharisees. Then he went on to correct the wrong theology and intentions of what they, uh, the Pharisees had said. The thing the Pharisees came up with was to promote themselves and to suppress those who were in lower positions. All of the righteousness that, that they were teaching and preaching, it was a self-serving theology. They preached a theology that... that serve themselves. It didn't serve God. And I, I want to say this. I say it carefully, but it's the truth. You know, that's still a danger today. Do you know that we still have to be careful about self-serving theology? It is much too easy for us as Christian leaders to lead in directions that, that could possibly fly in the face of the will of God, but make it easier for ourselves. 
And we have to be cautious. It's necessary that, that anyone who has a place in the family of God be mindful of staying true to the Word of God and the will of God. Ryan, while you're there in Thailand and, and those dear people who predominantly, overwhelmingly, almost exclusively are Buddhist, you have to be very careful in the way that you represent God because once they buy in uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll believe just about everything you say, just the way that it is. Daniel, that's the way it'll be in Sherry and Togo, uh, West Africa. Once they come to know Jesus, because they've come to know you, they'll just buy into what you say. You have to be cautious with that. In fact, today, there seem to me to be many broad gates, many people through a self-serving way, teaching a broader way that's not the right way. Some of those gates are religious in nature, and some of them are secular in nature. Here's what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who knew them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. There is a, a broad way out there, and it's not just the way of the world, it is oftentimes a religious way. And that religious way is developed by, by those in leadership who found themselves in leadership that said, you know what, I can make a way for myself here. And that becomes a destructive way. Of course, the big thing in today's world is just secularism. More and more people are believing less and less. In fact, they kind of wear a wear it as a badge of honor, like I'm wearing this, this 50th anniversary pin. They kind of wear it as a, uh, yeah, I don't really believe anything. I mean, they get real excited about not believing anything. And like the broad gate in Jesus' day, this gate leads to destruction as well. As it has always been, there is one gate. There is one door. There is one way. There's not a lot of gates. There's one gate, and it's not a broad gate. Now, everybody can go in, but it's not a broad gate. Here's the gate, Matthew, uh, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Those are the words of Jesus. And while all of us should have an interest in the Jesus rules, the get rule and the God rule and the golden rule, you've got to understand the gate rule. Jesus said, you must be born again. You've got to get the gate rule. If you've never gotten the gate rule, all the other rules are really insignificant in your life. If there's not been a time when in your life you came through God's only gate, God's only door, Jesus Christ, then that's not your first priority. It's your only priority. You've got to come to God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the church, a member of this church, if you grew up in a Christian home, if you have a life that's falling apart, if you have a life that seems charmed, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the way to all blessings of God in heaven too. He is the only, only way. Jesus. I want to close with something that I wish was original. 
It's not original with me. However, it's quite powerful. It's just about Jesus, if you don't mind. Jesus, it's a little name, a small word. Say this little name in public, however, in a way that other than an obscenity, and stand back and watch the fireworks. This little name is is like a tiny detonator that triggers a nuclear warhead. You can say, God, you won't even get a squeak. You can say, our Father or our Mother in heaven. People won't flinch too much. You can say, Great Spirit, and people will nod in approval. Oh, Great Spirit. You can say, Allah, and you'll be deemed tolerant. But say, Jesus, and wait for the sonic boom. Articles will appear in the paper. Reprimands will be posted from the home office. Suits will be threatened by civil liberties organizations, and on and on it goes. So, don't say Jesus. Jesus is divisive, and now is a time for unity. Jesus is an extremist, and that must mean right wing. Jesus is exclusive, so his name amounts to hate speech. Keep his name to yourself. Cloister it in your church. Lock it in your prayer closet. Close it between the covers of your Bible. But for God's sake, don't voice it in the public square. It's immodest. It's immoral. It's unloving. Only one problem. Jesus is God. Only one problem. Jesus alone brings salvation. Only one problem. All other gods are nothing. So speak his name aloud. Shout it from the mountain. Whisper it in the dark. Write it in the sky. That's not hate. That's hope. And that's the You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.